our God. Tonight we want to consider matters on eschatology, the doctrine of the last things. And so we will be looking at numerous passages as we also see how that is organized and summarized in Article 37 of the Belgic Confession. If you're visiting with us this evening, we extend a special welcome to you. And as we worship our God together, we do that We're called to do that with the greatest of zeal and with thanksgiving in our hearts. I'd ask you to stand as we hear the call to worship from Psalm 9 this evening. There in Psalm 9 we read, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. We come to sing his praises tonight. Congregation in whom is your help? We greet you this evening, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals to number 47A, O clap your hands, all peoples. We're going to sing God's praise as we reflect upon his goodness uh, to the nations. Let's sing those Five stanzas of 47A.
Tonight in our psalm selection, Psalm 57. I invite you to turn God's Word to Psalm 57, page 477 in the Bibles there uh, in the, the chairs in front of you. The Psalter has been looking at David and his life on the run, how he's been betrayed in numerous ways, Psalm 52, Psalm 54, and Psalm 55, and again, Psalm 56. And Psalm 57 is something of a, of a change of attitude in the psalmist. He's been considering this, uh, this life on the run, and here in Psalm 57, he is hiding, he's running again, fleeing from Saul. We read in the, uh, the superscription there in the psalm to the choir master, according to do not destroy a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. He's uh, writing here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In the earlier psalms, he was hiding from his enemies, and here he speaks of hiding in God, of his confidence that God will protect we see a number of, of uh, stanzas here in this, uh, in this song where he's calling upon God to be merciful to him, how he cries out to the Lord and is confident that God will save. And he even speaks in verse 4 of how he's going to save him from being in the midst of lions. Sounds something like Daniel, though Daniel has not arrived on the scene yet in this uh, time of the writing of this psalm, but... It, it sounds very much like that. And then he gives that chorus in verse 5 of exaltation in God. And then the second uh, part of the psalm in reverse. He talks about how his enemies are uh, digging a pit for him. And he's um, recognizing that they are going to fall into that pit themselves. The theme of judgment is we're going to hear about that tonight a bit. Um, that God's enemies, though they set a trap for God's people, they themselves are going to be ensnared by their own, uh, by their own endeavors. And then he says, uh, is, as this second part of this psalm continues, not only does he call out to the Lord, but he says, I am steadfast, I will uh, sing the praise of the Lord. I will awaken the dawn each day marveling, reflecting upon God's goodness and how he will give thanks. And he testifies there of God's steadfastness, and then he sings that chorus again, that God would be exalted. Listen then to this word as we ourselves reflect upon our need of God and of his faithfulness. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the Storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. 
Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This theme of deliverance, of this prayer for deliverance, is found in hymn 450. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the near waters roll, while the tempest still is high, hide me, O my Savior, hide. Till the storm of life is past, safe into the haven guide. Oh, receive my soul at last. We're going to sing those four stanzas of number 450 in response.
Let's go to the Lord now in time of congregational prayer. O merciful God and heavenly Father, you who rule and you who rule justly, we come before you tonight confident in your ability to save, confident that you will establish your will on earth as it is in heaven. As we come tonight, we are also aware of many of the enemies that stand against you, those in the world and the devil, even in our weakness at times, standing in the way of your will for our lives. Tonight, along with the psalmist, though, we do pray that you would protect us from the storms that pass and that you would Allow us to find refuge in your word and in nearness to you. Lord, as we call out to you, we know that you will fulfill your purpose for us. That is to sanctify us. You say, it is, this is my will, that you would be sanctified. And that happens through refining of fire. That happens through trouble and trial. That happens through times of joy and thanksgiving. That happens through times of when we are recipients of generosity, when we are giving generously. In so many ways, you are shaping and molding us in times of sickness, in times of health. Lord, we are mindful of the many blessings you give and the, the sovereign work that you perform the way that you mature us. We know that you have saved us. As the psalmist looks forward, he says, He will sin from heaven and save me. He looked forward in faith. We look back confident of what you have done in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have shown your steadfast love and your faithfulness in your Son, the one who came to keep the law, who did so fully, perfectly, and died in our place, that we who believe in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, we feel at times overwhelmed by the journey. We're thirsty or we're hungry in this wilderness. We, we feel weak, but you promise that your grace is sufficient. You promise that you are able to deliver as we Recognize that we do pray that you, O Lord, would be exalted above the heavens, that your glory would be over all the earth, that others would see that our confidence is in you and that it is not uh, for loss, but that as we trust in you, you show yourself powerful to save, powerful to sanctify, to redeem. We pray that your word would go forth in power today, that it would be reaching those who have not heard that word, those who have heard it but have never meaningfully engaged with it, that they would hear and believe. They would turn from themselves and their own ways and walk in newness of life. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered here. Thank you for all of the efforts that are exerted on behalf of this facility, the gifts and uh, the time that is invested in so many ways. As elders and deacons, as those who work in the library, those in the nursery, those on committees, those plan- making plans, those 
executing those plans, those working on the grounds and on the building itself, those who are participating in the music of the church, that we might lift a joyful noise to you and sing your praises. Those who teach and instruct, those who are uh, giving in hospitality and those who are encouraging, helping us see the joy of living in community. Lord, may that encourage us. For we know that we do not always see that or experience that in, in our day-to-day lives. May we be strengthened and encouraged and sustained by your Holy Spirit who works in us. That as you lead and guide us, we would want to exhibit the joy that is found in being united to you, to be exhibiting a peace that is to be found when we are resting in you, taking refuge in you. Lord, we know that in the end, your enemies will face judgment as we're going to hear tonight. In the end, those who love you and long for the appearing of your Son will know endless bliss. May we be comforted in hearing these words, convicted in what we are doing and walking in the light of the truth and persevering in that walk, in that living for you. Lord, we give you thanks for you are the one who causes fruit to result from the efforts that we exert. We know all of the enemies to that effort. We know the weakness of our own hearts. You are a God who transforms, a God who causes fruit where there is only barrenness in our own efforts. Lord, build up your church. Draw back those who are not walking with you, those who are under discipline, that they would heed the admonition, the warning of the elders, and that they would respond with repentance and faith. Lord, may we pray for them, encourage them as we are able. Lord, may we see your steadfast love, your great faithfulness day after day as your Spirit works in our hearts. Help us to see those examples, those, those testimonies, that we would not miss them, that we would not be going through life so quickly that we miss those, those reminders. For Lord, it is our prayer that you would be exalted above the heavens, that your glory would be over all the earth. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's turn to number 270 in our hymnals. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. We're looking at his coming again. And so as we prepare to consider that matter, we want to sing. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess him, King of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty Word. Let's stand to sing those five stanzas, number 270.
knew that tune was going to be challenging. That's why I had the, thought we were going to do the blue psalter, but that's okay. We, we, we worked our way through it. Now we can add another one to our resume. Article 37 tonight, if you'd turn in the back of your hymnals to page 870, be looking at this final article of the Belgic Confession. It has to do with eschatology, the Bible's doctrine of the last things. It's fitting for us to look at that, for life has its beginning in God and its fulfillment in Him. It would be strange not to talk about Him and His plan for creation in the beginning and then not to talk about that in the end. We're going to be turning in God's Word also to Acts chapter 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Acts chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then various passages as we're looking uh, something of a, of a teaching uh, message tonight, more teaching than sermonic perhaps, where we're looking at what the Bible has to say about final judgment, resurrection, and eternal life. There's much controversy surrounding the doctrine of the last things, but there shouldn't be. The fact of his return is central to God's word. When Jesus returned uh, into heaven, ascended into heaven, that very first word spoken by the angels is found there in Acts chapter 1. So we're going to begin this evening, Acts chapter 1, as the disciples had just heard from Jesus that they were to go and be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Uh, Then he was taken from them after he had said these things. And then verse 10 of Acts chapter 1, we read, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then Paul speaks confidently, if you turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul speaks confidently about what will happen uh, to believers at his return. He's been, he, he's, he had to leave Thessalonica after a very brief time, and he's writing this letter to, to cover some of the things that he had not had time to, to cover. And one of the things was confusion about what happens to those who die before uh, the, the Lord returns. And when is Christ going to return? And any number of, of questions surrounding that. And here he talks about the coming of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Or the NIV says, we will be with the Lord forever. The teaching about his return is the focus of Article 37 tonight, Belgic Confession. I now invite you to turn there as I read that for us, page 870 in the back of your hymnals. This concerning the final judgment, resurrection, and eternal life. 
Finally, we believe, according to God's word, that when the time appointed by the Lord has come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. Then all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge. Men, women, and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world, they will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. For all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth, their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible. Then the books... That is, the consciences will be opened and the dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world, whether good or evil. Indeed, all people will give account of all the idle words they have spoken, which the world regards as only playing games. And then the secrets and hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. Therefore, with good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to wicked and evil people. But it is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect, since their total redemption will then be accomplished. They will then receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be openly recognized by all, and they will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring on the evil ones who tyrannized, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The evil ones will be convicted by the witness of their own consciences and shall be made immortal but only to be tormented in the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In contrast, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will confess their names before God, his Father, and the holy and elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes, and their cause, at present condemned as heretical and evil by many judges and civil officers, will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God. And as a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the heart of man could never imagine. But we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That our subject tonight, dear people of God, the Belgic Confession has one article on the last things. Now, Say, well, there's so much surrounding eschatology. Couldn't we go on and discuss and cover much more in confessional documents? Well, we're reminded to keep our thoughts of what will happen at the end of history in proper perspective. The teaching is rather clear, and we're to find comfort in the certain return of Christ. How is the blessed return of our Lord described in God's Word? Well, Acts chapter 1 says He will return in the same way that he has gone. He will come back bodily and visibly, just as he ascended, Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Now, that must have been confusing at first when the disciples heard that as Jesus is ascending into heaven, and, and they're, they're confused that this, this one whom they loved, this, this, uh, this, their Lord, their Master, is now ascending. Not only is that astounding, but that he's, he's going away. And they thought, well, now is the time for certain that, that the kingdom would be established. He has, he has risen from the dead, and he's, 
here now uh, to proclaim his victory, and yet he, he prepares to go to heaven that he might send the Holy Spirit that they might do greater works still. And so there is a comfort as they reflect upon what Christ is doing. The book of Acts really is, could be entitled the continuing acts of the Lord Jesus Christ, the continuing acts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what the whole book of Acts is about. It's about God sending His Spirit and how the, how the church is built up as God's Spirit fills His people. The word of comfort that is before us tonight is Jesus is coming again, and He will come in a way that is unmistakable. With the voice of the archangel, the sound of the divine trumpet. Paul says, by a word from the Lord, verse 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. By a word from the Lord, we tell you, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. No one will miss this. That's why we confess that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who will come again with glory as we say in the Nicene Creed, with glory. Jesus told his disciples that he would come in his glory with the clouds. Matthew 25, verse 31, and Revelation 1, 7. The Bible does not teach a secret coming where he is going to take to himself the church, rapture them away, and, and, and then uh, the, the millennium comes. The, very clear in Scripture that he, when he comes... He is coming once. That second coming doesn't happen in two stages. It's going to be clear. There's no secret nature about it. Matthew 24 says this, that as the, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And children, you can recognize what that means. When the, even when the drapes are pulled, if there's lightning, you can see it through the cracks. You can see the light. It's so bright. And here it says that Christ will come again and it will be unmistakable. Peter wrote about this as well. Second Peter, looking at Second Peter, the testimony found there in chapter 3, he writes of the certainty of Christ's return to those who were suffering. They were wondering, when is, when is he going to come? Why are we still waiting for this? We're suffering. Peter writes, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 2, You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. At Christ's return... The world will be refined by fire. As Dr. Venema says in his book, The Promise of the Future, it will not be all new things, but all things new. All things made new. He comes to, with refining fire, to remove all the aspects of fallenness and brokenness in the world, to purify for himself a new creation. He has care for the world. He created it 
and declared it very good, and he is going to purify it, not to destroy it and start anew. But he is patient, not wanting any to perish. Listen to what Peter says as he goes on. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. As fire refines metal, taking out the impurities, so it will, in that coming day, be a refiner's fire. Our Savior's redemptive work is cosmic in scope. It's not just to redeem us, the crown of God's creation, but also to renew the entire world, to establish a new creation. He will come to reign over a purified world. Our confession about ultimate and last things is that God wins. Creation is restored. Paradise is regained even better than before even better than it was before, and it will be beyond sin. Established in righteousness, Peter says later in chapter 3. No parties or factions, no divisions, but perfect harmony, peace. That at the blessed return of our Lord. Second, the resurrection of all mankind, but we'll... Uh, What will take place in this new creation? Listen to what it says in our confession. All human creatures will appear in person before that great judge. Men, women, and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world, they will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. For all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth, their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible. Christ came the first time to atone for sin, Hebrews 9 tells us. When he comes again, he will come to judge and to take those to himself, those who have been waiting for him. Listen to Hebrews 9. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What a confidence we can have that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, there's no delay, there's no voting process, there's no, well, what do you think? What, where should Jesus serve? How do you think he should, what part do you think he should play? He will come and declare all to be under God and the Father will be all in all. What of those who have died? The soul will be reunited with the body. The body that God gives is a gift. We ought to care for our bodies. We ought not to uh, manipulate them and to uh, uh, destroy them. We ought not to mangle them through technologies today and because we think we have other identities, we are going to be reunited with our bodies. It's part of our givenness. That is a reminder of our finiteness, to be sure, our limitedness, our, sp- our time and space that we are here and that we're to be serving where we are and we're to be who God has made us to be, body and soul. To know that God has a plan for us. 
a purpose for us, as the psalmist said tonight in Psalm 57. All kinds of questions. What age will we be when we are renewed? Interesting question. What will become of those who died in youth or in infancy? Will they be united to their young body? What appearance will we have? How will health concerns be healed? So many questions. It leads to much speculation because we're not told what this will look like. We are told that our bodies will be glorified as Christ's glorified body, raised imperishable, immortal, beyond the curse of death. We are assured that God will remove all infirmities and heal us of all diseases, Psalm 103. What a wonderful thought. We can be confident that there will be a maturity in God's fulfilled promise. We cannot say for certain how this will take place. There will be enough continuity where we can recognize each other. After all, when the disciples saw Jesus post-resurrection, they recognized him indeed. He was, he was different and they were not expected, expecting to see him. And yet, when he identified himself, they recognized him after he had received his glorified body. What about those who are alive at Christ's return? They will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible, caught up to the air to be together with those who are raised up from the dead to be with Christ forever, Paul writes. What is that first event after the renewal? Well, it is judgment. God comes to judge. All human creatures will appear in person before that great judge. He will announce not only his victory, his kingship, but he will announce his judgment. He speaks of that. Jesus speaks of that. We often hear people say, well, Jesus, is, Jesus doesn't talk about judgment. Jesus doesn't talk about uh, 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 the fact that sin is going to be punished, Jesus is all loving. And yet in, in John chapter 5, listen to what we read. It says there in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And he goes on, he says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. The Son will judge, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father And he says, in that coming day, he has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. It's very clear from our Lord and Savior's own lips that he is Going to judge. Everyone will stand before the righteous judge of the earth. The psalmist says in Psalm 96, verse 13, in the books, or as he writes here, their consciences will be opened. They will be judged according to the things they did. Listen to what Revelation 20 says on this. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which 
is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And we know how one is written into the book of life. It is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that in him there is salvation. This is a frightening event. Earlier in the book of Revelation chapter 6, we read this. Concerning those who reject him, what they will say, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Interesting here, the commentators recognize there are seven types of people mentioned, that number seven referring to completeness, that all people are under consideration here. All people will stand before the Lamb. Those who trust, whose trust is not in the Lamb of God have every reason to be afraid of the judgment, for it will be swift and heavy. The one who has refused to put their trust in Christ will be raised only to face the second death, which is eternal torment. The confession goes on to say this. The evil ones will be convicted by the witness of their own consciences and shall be made immortal, but only to be tormented in the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Just by way of correction, that cross-reference is wrong in the hymnals. It should say Matthew 25.41, not Matthew 25.14. If you're looking at that verse thinking that doesn't make any sense, there's a typo there. It's Matthew 25, 41. Speaking of this very severe truth, it is found there in Scripture. Severe, warning, sobering testimony of Scripture. But one can escape this judgment by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. One shares in the first resurrection, which was what? Children, where was the first resurrection? It was Jesus' resurrection, wasn't it? That's what we're looking at here. They share in the first resurrection, in Christ's resurrection by faith, confident that they will escape eternal condemnation. No one should make light of sin, and yet we see it all around us, don't we? Idle words spoken, which we read the Writer of the Confession says, which the world regards as only playing games. Eh, it doesn't matter what we say. It's no big deal. Nobody hears. It's not a matter of concern. I'm not, I don't care. Yet we should. Being judged for every word we've spoken. God knows the words each person speaks in public and in private. He knows every thought that we have. He warns that we're to be transformed in our thinking and in our speech and all of our living 
by his word, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds in thinking upon his word. What then of the eternal blessedness of believers? For the believer, the second coming of Christ and final judgment are comforting. Why? There's a number of reasons given here (coughs) worth our effort to look at them and to consider what is being said. First, it says here, this second coming is of great comfort to the righteous and elect since their total redemption will then be accomplished. That first, uh, as we consider the eternal blessedness of believers, the return of Christ will be judged as all will be judged and those in Christ will be judged not guilty. Those who are invited to come and share in their master's happiness we read in Matthew 10:32 he will confess our names before his father all the promises made will be realized and we will be beyond the ability to sin there'll be no more brokenness physical or emotional there'll be wholeness we'll understand what god has done in us and for us, receiving new bodies, all the consequences of sin removed, all the pain, all the grief swallowed up by life and joy in God. What else? Well, we also will receive the fruits of our labor and of the trouble we have suffered. Those are interesting words. First, the fruits of our labor. It's not always easy for us to to. Bleed our children to lead one another in in the way of the Lord. It's it's much easier to go along, to just float along with the culture and not resist, or just keep our heads down and, and kind of kind of hide out. Commitment to God can conflict with sports and hobbies and material pursuits, but laboring for the Lord is fruitful. Making God first will bear wonderful fruit in the years ahead. As parents invest in the lives, the spiritual lives of their children, the world says, give them sports, give them hobbies. And what will those do? Well, scholarships, perhaps. We say, well, they might get a scholarship. Or, well, they develop good skills. They may need those skills down the road. And and Paul has a word for that. Paul says, physical training is of some value, but godliness holds promise for this life and the life to come, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. So what are we doing? We're preparing them to be discerning and to see that they're in the world to live for the Lord, not just themselves. What about the fruit of troubles suffered? He, he says that here. Obviously, we know the context in which this confession is written. They're being uh, they're being uh, ridiculed. They're being persecuted as, as uh, in the church. He says, when at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are in Christ will receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered. Can trouble really bear fruit? And the answer is, most certainly it can in the hands of a sovereign God. All things work together for the good of those who love him. He reminds us of that. He assures us of that. If we're prayerful and trusting in God, we will see faith grow through trouble. Faith will be refined by, as, if, as if by fire. Our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for the faith would tell us the Lord is faithful. 
Never have I seen him reject his own. They may not have much materially. They may not have much to point to in the world. But they recognize Christ is their glory. To live is Christ. To die is gain, writes Paul in Philippians 1.21. We, we're not to be ashamed of Christ no matter what trouble might come from confessing his name. And when Christ returns, we will see how God worked fruit in our lives through troubling times. Great joy and reward awaits those who suffer for his name. The disciples counted it all joy that they were considered worthy to suffer for his name. Acts chapter 5. Well, what else? Our innocence will be openly recognized. We'll receive the fruits of our labor, the trouble, and of the, trouble, the fruits of the trouble that we have suffered, and our innocence will be openly recognized by all. It's hard to face the criticism that comes from the world, even harder from the devil and his minions. He's constantly watching us, wanting to set before us our sins, to get us to know guilt, to have guilt feelings. We're tempted to despair, and yet we're called to look up to Christ, who is our righteousness. When He comes, our innocence will be announced. Then in Him, all our sins have been taken away. The greatness of Christ's sacrifice will lift us up, and all will see the Father's pleasure in His people. Those who have attacked and tormented and vilified believers will face the wrath of God for their wickedness. Righteousness and justice will be established and peace will fill all the earth. No more tension, no more cancel culture, no more aspects of that particular movement as we have it now. And fourthly, when Christ comes again, we will be crowned with glory and honor. That doesn't mean we replace God and ruling. But our position of servant rulers under God will be restored and all creation will be restored to pre-fall conditions and be fruitful. God will be all in all. There will be no conquering left to do, but only realizing the joyful productivity as we reign with Christ and discover the glories of God and live joyfully under Him in perfect harmony with His Word. And fifthly, when Christ comes again, the cause of Christ's people will be shown to be the cause of the Son of God. That's a reminder to us. What are we about? We are to be about the same work as the Lord Jesus Christ was about when he was on earth. To set God before us, to see his kingdom come, to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those aren't just words that we confess. Those are words that we live by that are to shape the way we parent, the way that we exercise our gifts in work and the way we interact with others around us. To paraphrase John Piper's words, missions exist, evangelism exists because worship of God does not. That's what we're about. We want all people everywhere to worship God, to bow the knee before Him, to know that in Him there is life, to know that in Him there is hope, 
And that is such a, an important message in this world of hopelessness and despair today. Set before them the way of life. That's why Christ came. He came to call people out of the darkness of sin into the marvelous light of God. This is not a hateful, bigoted message as the world likes to define it. But rather, a word of life. When Christ comes again, all will see that this cause, the cause of the gospel, was the cause of the work of Christ. We pray for Christ's coming, for we long for the truth to be confirmed, for all to see in the power of Almighty God. When Christ returns, he will receive, we will receive the gracious reward. As it says it there, the gracious reward the Lord will make his own possess a glory such as the heart of man could never imagine. How can we know that? How do we, how do we know that that's going to be the case? Well, because he has come from glory to declare it to us. Numerous passages tell us that. He, he says it over and over again. John chapter 3 verse 13 and John 6 verse 38 and, and John 1 verse 1, that he was with the Father from eternity, from glory. In John 17, he prays that he would be restored to the glory that he had with the Father from the beginning. And he comes from glory to declare that he is going to glory and that he's preparing a place for us, John 14, that we might be with him where he is. Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us tell us that his work was to bring us to God. And we wonder what that's going to be like. We don't know, but we sing about it. 468, we're not going to sing right this moment, but I want you to hear those words of Jerusalem the golden. Jerusalem the golden with milk and honey blessed beneath your contemplation. Sing heart and voice oppressed. I know not, oh I know not, what joys await us there. What radiancy of glory, what bliss Beyond compare. O sweet and blessed country, the home of God's elect. O sweet and blessed country that eager hearts expect. Jesus, in mercy, bring us to that dear land of rest who are with God the Father and Spirit ever blessed. We don't know what it's going to be like. No ear has heard, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who long for his appearing, 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, but we know it's going to be far beyond all we can imagine. I want to close with 2 Peter chapter 3. Going back to 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter gives this charge. Since all these things are thus, since it's going to occur this way, that they're going to be dissolved, this world refined by fire, What sort of people ought you to be? You ought to live lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We've been given that privileged position to know the truth of what is to come. But as we wait, we are also hastening that day. How are we doing that? We're doing that by calling others to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Because in Matthew 24, it says, this will occur, that the word will go to the ends of the earth, and then he shall come. 
So we are about being busy. We're not about simply sitting and waiting. We're about hastening that day, being obedient. We have the wonderful privilege of teaching our children this truth and passing on the deposit that they might live for Christ in word and deed. And what is our attitude in these days? It ends there in Article 37. We look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Indeed we do. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your clear revelation concerning the end as we move ever closer to that return of your Son, the one who has come from glory to tell us of glory and has returned to glory that kingdom might advance, that we might be with him where he is. As we wait, help us, Lord, to be hastening that day and teaching our children to look to your Son by faith, teaching others of that sobering, that somber event, but also that glorious, majestic event, which is meant to bring comfort, where it will resolve all of the pain and the suffering and the brokenness that we see here. The dissonance will be resolved in a glorious symphony, glorious melody, the return of your Son. We thank you for that. We pray that we would find comfort in this word and also command, knowing that in your spirit there is work to be done. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 388. Rejoice, rejoice, believers, and let your lights appear. The evening is advancing and darker night is near. The bridegroom is arising and soon he will draw nigh. Up, watch in expectation at midnight comes the cry. Our hope and expectation, O Jesus, now appear. Arise, O sun, so longed for above the darkened sphere. With hearts and hands uplifted, we plead, O Lord, to see the day of earth's redemption that sets your people free. We're going to stand to sing those four stanzas, number 388.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious task we have to proclaim that truth of redemption accomplished and applied of that day when it will be consummated, finalized, realized in our lives. We pray for that work to go forth powerfully, richly through our homes in the churches and in schools as well as we take offering for a Crown Point Christian tonight. We ask that you would give that institution guidance and strength and clarity of message that we would be about our Father's business, namely calling people to confess you and to bow before you and then to live too as we ought, showing what it looks like to be increasingly transformed and made into the image of your Son. Hear us as we offer these gifts, and these are prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and confess our faith, these matters of God's redemptive plan, His creative power, His redemption, and His promise of the consummation using the words of the Apostles' Creed. As we answer that question, Christian, what is it you believe? We say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear this parting word of blessing. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes. 
with all his holy ones. Amen. 